Hello and welcome to another episode of Radiance and Resilience. I am Betty Parker, your host. I'm so glad you decided to stop in and take a listen once again to another topic around diversity matters. This time we're taking it from the perspective of those like me who have to train on these topics in the workplace. My guest today is Persephone Scanty and she's a trainer in diversity matters as well as a few other topics. But she discusses with me some of the challenges she faces and I'm sure anybody who's had to train in this particular area can relate. For those of you who cannot, because this is not something you do, I want you to listen with a little bit of empathy and compassion because it's not an easy topic to teach, yet it is an important one. Thank you so much for listening in and we invite all responses and comments. Hello, Persephone's Canty. Hey, Betty Parker, how you doing? I'm great, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good, thank you for joining Radiance and Resilience again with me. I know the last time you were on, you just kind of did a blurb and we were talking about what's good, but I get the opportunity now to talk to you a little bit more in depth and especially around what you do for a living. And I'm appreciative that you can bring your expertise to this conversation. Thank you for having me on, Betty. I don't know how much expertise I can offer, but... (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm hoping we'll have a great conversation. We will, we will. This is not out of your wheelhouse. So I am dedicating episode, or I should say the season, a third season of Radiance and Resilience to all things diversity. So my goal is I'm, I'm on this new quest to bring the world together. I'm saying one conversation at a time. And one of the most difficult conversations people tend to have in this country, as, as far as I can tell, is conversations around race and we have people who are feeling very uncomfortable about it yet it is so prevalent at this particular time in our um, history I guess so with that in mind because you train in that area as I do I want us to talk about this from a trainer's perspective and specifically about how do we um, how do we help people to educate themselves around matters of race what has been your experience as you try to open this door within the workplace um, to people who might not feel that good about the conversation? Um, Just having people embrace it in general, Betty. Um, Most times it's not until something happens in the organization that people want to have the conversation and and maybe not even the conversation, but just have a training around um, diversity matters. And, the important thing for organizations to remember is to always be proactive and not reactive. Because if you're reactive in matters, there are oftentimes not buy-in from either senior leaders who are saying we need it, they don't really believe it themselves, and then employees who realize, oh, we're just doing it off the cuff. So we have to always have the conversation. It can't be just a one-time quick fix situation. Organizations need to understand that we're always constantly educating ourselves and the employees around us regarding diversity because the face of our world is changing and that doesn't exclude our organization. It's changing as well. So we have to call things out as they are and we have to deal with them on a daily basis. So what I'm finding is, is that people are in these times, if something's happening, then we're saying, okay, we need training on these matters. Um, And leaders are just really putting it on outside consultants to try to fix the problem 
or the training departments within the organization, but it takes everyone to um, regulate what's going on regarding diversity. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I see a lot of the same thing where it's a knee-jerk response to some type of action, something that happened. And so now everybody has to go through diversity training. And so it's kind of gotten a bad rep. Seth, I don't know if you, you know, if people just feel like, oh, let me just check off the box. I got to go to this thing because they're making us go because somebody did something dumb in the, in the, in the company. And so they just go not with any real interest or intent to go in and educate themselves or to learn something to be better in interacting with people who might be different from them, but just as a means of, uh, I'm just going because they're requiring us to go. Right. Absolutely. And then I, I call those people that if they have to go to training, they're my right? hostages. Um, they, <laughs> they really don't want to be there. And you can see it. You can feel it. And diversity is already an, an issue or a situation in which there's already tension around that mm-hmm. topic. And trainers, you want to be able to impart information to make people better when they walk out of that room than they were before they walked in and to enlighten them on matters such as diversity, inclusion, and engagement. You know, I just don't talk about diversity and what it looks like. I leave them with the thought pattern of how do you now include everyone now that you have this information? And then how do you start to actually engage people who are different than you, who look different Mm -hmm. than you? Um, So those things are so important as corporate trainers and not only just within our, daily organizations, but all organizations, um, I think in general, as we, as our churches are looking different Mm -hmm. now, there are people who that are joining our churches, excuse me, churches, organizations, people are starting to look Mm -hmm. different and, and, and our world is different and we have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. You know, in the last episode, I was speaking with Pastor Brian Thomas, uh, Thomas, who is Um, over the North Star Christian Center here in Columbia. And he was talking about, well, he leads a very diverse congregation. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, last, what, five years ago, we just kind of commemorated here recently in the month of June, the deaths of the nine people um, at the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston who were killed by Dylan Roof. And so he was saying that, you know, he thought the common denominator was Jesus. And so he didn't feel a need to really speak on matters of race. But now he's looking back and saying, you know, I should have said more or done more five years ago. So now that we have another issue Mm -hmm. that has surfaced, he feels like, okay, our church is going to step up and speak out on racism and discrimination and prejudice. And so I really admire his growth in that. And so that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about in getting people to understand their their role in some of these matters when they see any type of social injustice how they should take ownership of that to a certain degree and say how can I help what do you think about how do you present that in a work environment it really begins from the top down if your leadership does not demonstrate its support for diversity programs if your organization does the culture doesn't reflect that then you really can't get buy-in from anyone else because what happens is employees don't mm. trust. And so it, it starts with those in leadership that they have to demonstrate what it looks like to show that we believe in diversity, we support diversity, 
Um, this is not just a one-time situation. We're going to constantly um, hammer at this thing so that we are embracing each other, all brothers and sisters, Black, white, um, Hispanic, all everybody, Asian. How we how are we going to embrace each other? And so that, like I said, it begins with the leadership at the top, and then we start working our way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of times they will commission someone to come in and to train in that particular area, but they feel like this is for the workforce, this is for the staff, but we don't have to be present. And their absence is very notable by the people who are in their organization. And when it seems like they aren't involved, they haven't really bought into the idea, I think it seems kind of hollow. It rings hollow for the people in the organization to believe that this is something that's being done with any sincerity. Uh, Betty, I actually had that to happen to me where I was tasked by leadership of an organization to create um, a training on diversity, inclusion, and engagement for their organization. And I created this course for an instructional-led course for all employees and um, presented it through a pilot for organizational leaders. And they thought it was great. They signed off on it. We put together the sessions sent out the invitation, employees began to sign up for the course, but leadership never attended. We had 15 sessions over a course of a month. There were 20 seats in each session and not one senior leader showed up. Wow. So that sends a huge message out to everybody else that senior leadership doesn't, well, are they, are they believing that they have this pretty much wrapped up, that they're fine, that they don't um, act in any kind of way that people would find. Um, and I don't, it doesn't have to be an egregious act, but do they feel so confident that they know how to handle things around diversity matters that they don't need to educate themselves any further? Or is it just that they may be so uncomfortable with the conversation, they don't want to be a part of it either? I am going to assume it's the latter. Um, and the reason I say that is because during their presentation to me, in saying that they needed the training, they gave examples as to why they needed the training. And so it's not that they're not aware that there are issues regarding um, diversity and other things. It's just that I'm just thinking that it's an uncomfortable topic. And if I have my training department um, fulfill this training or I bring bring in an outside consultant, Mm -hmm. then I've done my job. I don't Mm. need to attend the training. Um, And so I'm just, for me as a facilitator, I just think that it's such a letdown, Mm -hmm. if if you will, for lack of a better word, to your employees and to the organization as a whole. Um, Because it is important if you have 10 senior leaders there should be a, a, a representation of senior management of some leader of an organization in that training to have some sort of idea about how employees think and feel yeah. regarding And you know, and subject. it says about the value they put on something like that. So for, especially if they're people of color or any other type of the protected classes that might be in existence in that workplace, and they're looking at their leadership and the leadership is saying, well, they're basically absent even their absence is speaking volume. So it's saying to them, 
it, well, even if it's not the truth of what they mean to project, what it is projecting to those who are watching them is that this isn't that important to us. It doesn't have the value we're trying to make you all uh, see it as because we haven't think thought enough of it to even attend the classes. And when you're describing how many classes you had, Steph, there was ample opportunity. They couldn't even use as an excuse we were busy and couldn't make it, right? When you got that many classes available to them. Absolutely. And employees ask, you know, after class, in between breaks, you know, has senior management attended these classes? Are they going to attend? You know, and you as a trainer, you have to be very diplomatic mm -hmm. about how you answer that because you, they're already feeling um, the tension regarding this and not having your management yeah. involved. Um, it, it sends yeah. a clear message. I think sometimes as leaders, um, people who are in charge, I think we turn a blind eye and we want to say that people are not in tune to the things that we're not doing, but people are keenly aware what leaders do and what right. they don't do. And so I think that's just an important part of being a great leader too, learning how to lead a diverse workforce because you can't just treat everybody exactly the same because we're not all exactly the same. We're very different. And uh, when you think about, I mean, I know the work that has to get done basically is important to the organization, but the people doing the work are individuals and we have to respect that about them. And so when I think about um, mm -hmm. not just the workplace, but just the idea of educating oneself, right? Uh, people can do that even if they're not in, I, I like the fact that companies will provide diversity training to their people. Some of them are proactive, but most are reactive based on what you're describing and also my own experience. But I, I, for people who don't have the benefit of a company behind them, who want to educate themselves, what are some things, what are some ideas you think they could do to be able to do that outside of the work environment? There are a lot of things that people can take advantage of. There are free online courses. You have to sometimes uh, look for them uh, because sometimes there are uh, e-learning courses that organizations pay for regarding diversity training, but there are workshops and e-learning trainings that people can go out and search for on the internet and attend those webinars or sign up for those e-learning trainings to get some idea about um, uh, diversity training and how we are to um, engage with others who are different than us in our organizations and the world around us. Um, I would read, read lots of books. Um, people um, can go out and find different things on diversity. Talk to people right. who are different than you. Engage in conversation with people who are different. I think sometimes we're just afraid to open up these conversations and have these dialogues. You know, just a week ago, one of my um, colleagues who's a Caucasian, you know, she came to my office door and we began to talk about the world around us. And she said, there's so much going on in the world with COVID and you know all these other things that are going on. And I said, well, for example, would you be referring to Black Lives Matters? And she said, yes, that's it. And we started have I opened, she opened the right. door, but I walked through it. And she, we had conversations about it and she heard my point of view. And we, one of the things that I, I wanted to bring to her attention, and this is not, um, I can't take credit for, I heard someone else say it, but I told her, I said, it's not that with the Black Lives Matter, 
that we're saying that just Black Lives Matter. I said, what people are trying to say is that Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter too. And she said, no, I never mm-hmm. thought about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love, I want to just kind of park right there for a minute because what you're saying is what I envision for people. Like I said, I'm just trying to bring the world together one conversation at a time. If people wouldn't shy away from it and get so worried about making mistakes or saying the wrong thing or offending somebody, they could learn a lot. And a lot of it is just putting yourself out there being, we have, this is a shame we have to call these courageous conversations, but getting a little bit of courage and saying, okay, I realize there's not a lot I know about this particular group of people. And you know what? That's okay. You're not expected to know what's happening in somebody else's uh, culture or their race or whatever's going on that makes them different. That's the purpose of you connecting with them so they can kind of be a window into that for you. How in the world are you going to know that if you don't live that life, right? So if, if, I, if I don't know much about somebody who, let's say, is from Argentina, just I'm just pulling a, a, a country out of wherever, then if I have an Argentinian friend, I'm going to expect that person, I'm going to invite that person to have this conversation. I'm going to talk to them about the things that I'm curious about. I find that people are really proud of their heritage most often. And so they don't mind talking to talking to people about those things. There's no way you can get uh, caught up in something where you would offend somebody, I don't think, if you approach it in the right way. Now, if you want to get controversial, you can ask questions like what you said your friend did, your coworker did, when she came to the window and she, um, and she to your door and she asked about Black Lives Matter. We know that can be um, one that can be pretty contentious at times, but it's how you present the information. If you come with curiosity and not blame and judgment and coming back to come back at somebody and tell them how they're wrong in thinking about this Black Lives Matter thing and all of that, well, you won't cr- cause those issues. You know, you're generating a conversation. Somebody said um, people will come to the table depending on how you set it. So if you set the table in the right mm-hmm. way, then people are willing to come and accept your invitation, you know? Absolutely. I talk in my classes a lot about microaggressions because sometimes we're having conversations with people and we say things and I don't think that we realize how we mm-hmm. could be offending them regarding their race and things like that. And one of the big things, and it, it happened to be, is coming into law in some of the states where um, where there are laws on about not approaching people about a color about their hair. And I opened up the discussion and dialogue about a microaggression where other uh, races will say to maybe African-Americans, um, Mm-hmm. let me touch your hair or is that your hair or how do you get your, I've been asked, how do you get your hair changed mm-hmm. up so much like that? Uh, if I've had braids or something in my hair. Well, can I right. touch it? I've been asked about that. And I said, we don't walk around asking right. you, can we touch your hair? We, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not the norm. And what is the curiosity about that? You know, and sometimes people don't mm-hmm. want you touching their hair, you know, um, and so it does offend some people. I'm not saying it offends everybody, but I think some people get a little touchy feely well, about well, that. Wants to feel you know, like there's some uh, kind of little pet at the zoo where you can come in and pet them and touch them and and treat them as if there's some kind of anomaly, you know. And so that's the offensive part of it is right. like, I'm not here to be your source of entertainment today. And you're looking at me like I just dropped off a, you know, some planet <laughs> from somewhere else. 
I'm a human being just like you. So no, do not touch my hair. And that's and 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 they think they're being curious, yes. and they don't. They're they'll tell you their intent is not to be offensive. But so these are the things they need to have questions. You know. And so here's the thing too. Step so like what you're saying. If somebody tells you. Uh, you're stepping on me in some type of way by doing some of these things instead of getting offended. So that's what they do. The per the offender becomes offended just because the person who's, you know, at the hands of whatever they just did calls them out on it. They tend to get offended. Well, that's not what I intended. We don't, you know, if, if you just, if you just offended me in some way, I don't really care about your intentions. You know, you just got to realize that your behavior mm -hmm. right now is um, discriminatory in some way, or it is um, it, whatever, whatever it is that's happening that I don't like. I have a right to let you know that you've overstepped a boundary that I've established. And so instead of them accepting that right. and saying, oh, I apologize. I didn't realize that existed there. And then learning from it so that you don't do it again people get offended and then they get mad and say, oh, they'll tell us we're yeah. playing a race card and we're doing too much and we're angry about too much and all this kind of stuff, casting judgment upon, you know, the person who had to bear that burden at that time because you did something to them. And so I think we have to learn to reverse that. We have to realize that when we're doing too much and being offensive in some way to another group of people, that that, that group or that person has every right to let you know that. Hopefully you're finding the conversation between Persephone's Canty and me intriguing enough to realize that it is really a challenge for those of us who are in diversity training to get the conversation going on at work as well as in the community. Stick around for more of the conversation after this break. Leadership, teamwork, conflict management, self-awareness, Mastering skills in these areas are how we at Sharper Development Solutions help leaders and employees perform better at work. Through classroom instruction, group and individual coaching, and tools like Everything Disc Styles Assessments, we develop leaders, teams, and relationships through greater self-awareness and accountability. Call us at 803-622-4511 to schedule an appointment and learn more about how we can help you and your organization excel. I have experienced, I'll give you two examples of me being on the, on, on that end of having a Caucasian person say things to me that was very offensive. And I had to have conversations inside my head. And the one thing that I said to myself, well, if I say something back, um, then I'm going to be right. viewed as the angry black person. Um, it's always people will, they'll never think about what they said, but they'll always remember your reaction to it. So remember when The Help came out right. years ago and it came out as a movie, it was a book, but it came out as a movie. And one of, uh, she was a female uh, leader in an organization and she caught me in the hallway and she knew I love books. She knew I love movies. And she said, hey, have you seen The Help yet? And I said, no, I hadn't seen it. And so she starts to tell me about this movie. And she said, you know what it reminded me of? She said, it reminded me of when I grew up and she grew up in the PD area, just like I did, which is, um, you know, near that Myrtle Beach, Florence kind of area. 
And she said, I grew up there. And she said, I just remember my mom, you know, taking me and my sister to the doctor's office. And back then, blacks were on one side and whites were on the other. And I just remember my mom saying, I'm just so glad I'm not a black woman raising two little black girls in this time. Now she's looking at me, telling me this, and I'm thinking to myself, does she realize I'm black? Yeah. Is she having mm-hmm. a black mother? And she went on and on. Now this did anger me because of how she kept on and the things that she was saying about black people. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, she doesn't mean any harm, but she doesn't know what how this is affecting me because she was just mm-hmm. having casual conversation. Another instance, I was having lunch with um, another leader who was um, Caucasian, and I can't remember how the conversation came up. She said to me, sitting across from me, looking at me straight in the eye, she said, you know, Black people think they're the only ones that to have something done to them. She said, there were Jews and other groups that had things done to them. And I'm sitting there thinking, does this lady know I'm Black? I would have these conversations with my friends after work and angry about the situation. And somebody said to me, guess what? They know you're black, but you're not the stereotypical Mm -hmm. black that Mm -hmm. they have in their mind. You know, you're to them. You're not that uh, recipient on welfare. You're You're not not uneducated. You're not those other black people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I am one of them because, see, they don't know my story mm-hmm. and where I come from and who I am. And you're looking at me and having these conversations. And it's I mean, really, I'm angry. But I had to step back in those moments and think if I go off like I want to, they're not going to think about their response to other people is not what they said to me. It's going to be, well, this right. is how that, she that, That's so incredibly unfair. And that's how I think a lot of times uh, Black people get pegged as being angry and playing the race card and all of this, because as I mentioned a minute ago, if they, if they say anything to us and it's offensive to us, we have to bear the burden of that. You know, they don't take responsibility. They just say, oh, you're overreacting to it. Well, who are you to tell me how I feel in this moment? Like you said, you, that person right. doesn't know your story. They don't know where you come from or how that impacts you. And when I when I hear stories like that, and that's why I laughed a little bit, because I think all of us have had that situation where we're sitting there like, really, did that person just say that to me? Do they not realize that I'm a black person and I really relate to my cultural group? Right. And so even though there is an array of people, even within a cultural group, we still have a certain affinity and a love for our people, no matter how messed up we might be within. It's almost like it is a family. So think about everybody has that family where you have that crazy uncle or that wild aunt or whatever, the one that goes in and out of jail or, or who's always drinking or something, right? When you have the family reunion, you're like, oh, here he comes, or here she comes. But you know what? That's still your family. Yeah. So you would take offense to people coming in and pretty much trashing your family because of what one person is doing. And so what I'm finding in these conversations, I think where people go wrong is there's too much judgment in it. So even in that woman talking to you about, you know, she would never want to be that way. Well, if you knew the history of guess what? Black women at that particular time didn't particularly care to be in that position either. They wanted equal opportunity, just like everybody else, but were denied it. So, you know, as she said, and if she yes. sees how uh, she wouldn't want to be a black woman at that time, guess what? That's kind of how we're feeling even today, you know, because we feel like that same yes. stuff that was going on back then, a lot of it still exists today. 
have we moved forward in some ways? Yes, but not completely where we are equal with our white counterparts. And that's what people keep missing. So I totally get it what you're saying. You know, it's almost like they separate you from everybody else, but don't realize that you have an affinity to your particular group and you find it offensive that people would sit in judgment. And, And that judgment is really negative. You know, it's putting down a whole group of people that if she had not known you, she would have lumped you in with that same group of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and ask the questions. I think that con- those conversations could have done- gone differently if they had asked their appropriate questions, if they tried to get to know me as mm-hmm. a Black woman, you know, but they just went off the rails and went in a totally different, yeah. in a different so direction. I, I, I want people to get... you know, a little bit better at these conversations. And the only way to do that is to actually have them and be ready for whatever comes. Because if you step in it, generally people will tell you. (laughs) But I think if you're with the right one, a person you feel you can trust, a person you know will be straight with you, but won't, won't, you know, take it to uh, uh, an extreme, 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 but they will teach you I would highly encourage any of my white counterparts, anybody who, you know, most of, most of the white people who are friends and colleagues of mine know me. So they can come and ask me anything. And if they overstep, I'll tell them, you know, now that would not be an appropriate thing for you to say in a group of black people. And I'll explain to them why, you know, that kind of thing. So have the conversation. Don't shy away from it. And don't worry so much about um, uh, making mistakes simply because you're going to make mistakes. But be attuned. So I, I try to get people to think about, um, just to think about how they think and to think about what they say and to learn to be a little empathetic and put themselves in the shoes of the person they're talking to. How would they respond you know, to some of the things that are said? And I think it's good for any kind of conversation, any kind of high stakes conversation too. If you're in the heat of a moment, rather than just spouting off at the mouth with something, I think sometimes we have to think first, right? And just think about how your words are going to fall when they come out of your mouth upon the person you're talking to. Don't you agree? Absolutely. What I want people to be is intellectually Mm -hmm. curious. It's okay to be curious, but be intellectually curious. And what I mean by that is to ask the questions, but ask them with sincerity and looking to educate yourself around the around the matter and around the experiences on people who are different than you, you know, because when you do that, when you educate yourself on those experiences with those people who are different than you, it exposes you to perspectives and viewpoints that you wouldn't otherwise mm-hmm. be exposed to. And that is also going to give you a glimpse into another person's world without judgment, without condemnation, taking a step back and listening, not hearing, but listening to what they have to say um, and it, it, it provides a world that is oftentimes offering a completely different background than your own. And you say, well, you know mm-hmm. what? I can appreciate that. You know, I can see that. I, you know, I have friends who are different than myself and we don't always get along about viewpoints and things of that nature, right. but we can have the conversation and we can agree to disagree. And at the end of the day, right, we can still right. love each other about think we should let our differences regarding of how we were culturally raised, um, you know, what we look like skin wise, um, keep us divided. I think uh, intellectual conversations 
need to be had an open dialogue, but people have to be mm -hmm. willing to listen. And even though we talk about having those diverse conversations with people who are different than us, you know, even within our own race, Betty, we, you know, you and I've had these conversations before about how we peg each other because mm -hmm. of our different skin colors. And we even say things that might be hurtful. You know, since I um, started teaching diversity um, and inclusion and engagement, I realized that there are microaggressions that we say within our own culture that might hurt each other. I've had an uncle ever since I've been born call mm. me Darky. Hey, Darky. You know, wow. hey, Darky, how you doing? And so it became a part of, you know, life. And then when I started, you know, teaching these classes and things, I was like, well, that's right. not quite right. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. But you're so right. So you, you know what? And so this is the other thing I would like even my white friends and colleagues to understand. They think because if I come to the the defense of somebody who's a person of color and especially black people, because that's the one I mainly know, <laughs> that's what I am, um, that somehow I think everything we do is exactly right. And no, we have a lot of issues within the African-American community, but so does every other group, right? So there are things we have to work yes. on. I'm, just yes. because I'm telling you some things that you might be doing that I find offensive as a black woman doesn't mean I co-sign on everything that black people do that I think is uh, it's gonna be, it's right. It's not, we have a lot of things where we make mistakes and we mess up even amongst ourselves. So like you're saying, the whole colorism thing that exists within the black community. And that's actually kind of, um, it, it's intriguing to them when I talk about it in my classes because a lot of white people don't know that even exists, but they also don't realize that that came from the days of slavery too. And so a lot of that stuff harkens back to the very beginning when we were first brought on these shores. And that's what I think they miss. They don't understand. So I would highly encourage people to try to educate themselves on our history and the part that they don't know that's become part of our, uh, just a cultural norm for us. Then like you said, be intellectually curious. So a conversation like that step would be what? How would you, because I want people not to miss that, the way you, you phrase that. I want to give them an example of how you can ask a question about something, even if it's a controversial topic, but how they can ask a question about it and mm -hmm. generate a, a meaningful discussion rather than an argument. So I'll even give the example, and this one's been played a lot, but let's just go ahead and roll with it. The whole Black Lives Matter thing, right? And then people say, no, all lives matter. And there's some people who feel like it's it's vinegar in their mouths to even say Black Lives Matter. It's been said that it's um it's racist to say that, and it's been denigrated in so many ways and totally taken out of context. But if we had to have a conversation, if if I'm if I'm a, well, your white friend, and I say Seth to you, why is it important for you to to say Black Lives Matter? Why can't it be All Lives Matter? We're including Black people in there. What, how do you respond back to that? And how can this be a conversation that doesn't get, um, get heated and out of control? Absolutely. Well, Betty, um, Black lives do matter. But Black lives not only matter, I agree that all lives matter, but our lives matter too. One of the major issues is that uh, Black people still don't have the equality that everyone else does. Whether um, Caucasians want to realize it or not, there is still white privilege. There are jobs that are afforded to um, people who are non-African-American, non-Black. They can have the best education. They can have the experience, but they may be overlooked for that job. That even in 2020, that still exists. 
Um, there are people who are turned down for things because they're Black, they're overlooked. But even if we just open our eyes, Betty, if you would just open your eyes and not have to look too far, but look at the news and see how Black people are treated um, through police brutality, um, through social media, how people are now using freely using the N-word, how they are dividing us. We are still considered inferior and we're not. We're just as human as you are, as your parents are, as your friends are. But if we're just given a chance to prove that, but because you can't see past my skin color, because you can't see past of what you think my skin color might be and make me, then I can't be given a chance to be promoted in an organization to a chief financial officer. I can't be given a chance to, you know, be a head of that Fortune 500 company because you can't see past who yeah. I am. And so what we should do is have that conversation, Betty. We should sit around, not just now, but keep the conversation going and feel free to ask me any question that you want to ask me about who I am, about my race. And I would be free to give you the answers that I, that I am aware of. And what we don't know, we can together, as we're searching, go find answers who, from people who can better help provide those yeah and so the the thing that works in that is that you know you're giving your side of the story and the, uh, the importance for the other person is just to listen and to listen with compassion and empathy it doesn't always have to be well let me tell you my side of the story sometimes it's just about trying to listen to the other person's story now we can kind of debate it a little bit if I see things differently than you do but I, it, to, to tell somebody almost that because what I can hear in, in you saying something like that, there are people who will come back at you, Sep, and say, um, basically, they'll deny it sometimes. Other times, they'll say, oh, but you all are afforded a lot of opportunities. I'm sure there's some other things that are going on, why a person wouldn't get picked for that job. Um, the police do that to other people as well. It's just that we don't get the same attention uh, drawn to us as Black people do. And blah, blah, I've heard them all, okay? <laughs> so, so what happens is it becomes a contentious situation because one side is, is trying to or prove to the other side that they're no better, that their situation is no worse, I should say. And so, and the other side saying, oh yeah, you got it better. So that's why it becomes this back and forth thing as opposed to both sides sitting and listening. And more importantly, the side that, I mean, really, when you think about the struggles that black people have been through and are still going through, and we have story after story after story, you've given a few of them today. I got a whole line of, I can probably pull about 10 black people on this call and they can all give, and these are stories from back when, right? These are things that are happening right here today that would prove to, to anybody mm -hmm. else who's listening that this is something, just our daily living, just to breathe and move and have our being is always compromised in some way because we can't do the simplest things in life. You know, you can't even be out in front of your own house. You can't even be inside your own house, you know, without somebody or in your neighborhood. Yeah. We had, I saw that whole situation go down just a couple of weeks ago when some kids, some black kids were in a neighborhood on a golf cart and uh, got stopped and, and uh, filmed and everything else because they were told they don't believe, belong in that neighborhood and that was their neighborhood. Things like that, that white people don't have to experience. And so that's what I would implore them to stop for a minute and think about just, for, uh, we don't want to talk about race all the time either, right? But people keep reminding us that we're black right. and they do it through their actions, that you know?
We just want to live yes. just like yes. you have the opportunity in in harmony, safety. We want the same things right. that you want. You know, I I grew up with my grandparents who were born in the early twenties, you know, and who went through that whole civil rights era era. And to hear the stories, to, to, to be raised in their home and to hear the stories that my uncles and my grandfathers and even my grandmother and her sisters who worked in white homes, because, right. you know, that's what they did. They worked in white homes and took care of white people's children and yep. ironed yep. and cleaned. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes too tired to come home mm-hmm. to take care of their own families. Um, so I heard those stories. So those things are embedded in me. I grew up with those things. I know what that's like. Um, and hearing them, they worked in cotton fields. I mean, I lived in a home where people actually picked cotton and did those things and couldn't go to school. My grandmother talked about how she was in the cotton field, couldn't go to school, had white kids drive a bus, rode, ride a bus as they were, mm-hmm. you know, working early in the and, and being mm-hmm. spat on, you know, out the window on them. And there's nothing you can right. do but keep working. You know, so, you know, even now we still all of that discrimination now is even brought into the workplace. I think it's just covered Mm -hmm. differently. So what would you recommend then? We're talking about people educating themselves around matters of diversity just so we can learn to get along better as people. And we know this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But can you just give us like one basic thing you would recommend to somebody that they can start doing today just as a step toward making, you know, things better between them and somebody who might be different from them? Um, It goes right back to what we're talking about before. Have open dialogue. Don't be afraid to start building rapport with people who are different than you are, because that starts to build the trust and the relationships. Um, Learn more about other cultures. Don't be afraid. Um, to ask about cultures, because what that's going to do is to start removing those stereotypes and the use of those microaggressions that are hurting people on a daily basis. Um, You want to start to understand through dialogue what social dominance is and social justice is. Um, You want to be able to embed that into your everyday life so that you are able to deal with people on different levels. Um, and understand who you are. Um, If you consistently interact with people who look like you and think like you, there's an opportunity to miss out on ways to make a greater impact Mm -hmm. on the world around you. So my final thought is just to start engaging with other people who are different, start learning about them, be open-minded, be willing to listen to people rather than hearing them. When you're listening to them, please do it without judgment and condemnation. Because that's where we start to heal our nation. That's where we start to heal our world. And that's where we're going to start healing ourselves. Because honestly, it Mm -hmm. begins with us. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. And I really appreciate you being a part of Radiance and Resilience this week. This was very valuable information. I hope people will listen to it, take heed to it, and actually start implementing some of these things. This is the most sincere conversation I've had about race. In, well, I mean, I did it with a, a group of people, and I would highly encourage people to go uh, take a look at my YouTube channel where I'm talking to a panel of people about how to talk about race. But I'm really enjoying these real sincere conversations with people who are willing to speak out and against racism and discrimination. So I thank everybody for listening. And I thank you, Persephone, for being my guest this week.
Today's episode has been brought to you by Sharper Development Solutions, Inc., where we provide corporate training and executive coaching to companies that want to grow their leaders and build stronger teams. That includes training people on diversity matters, creating equity, and being inclusive. Check us out on social media and continue to listen to this podcast as it will be dedicating this season to combating racism and fostering love and acceptance. Thanks for listening.